music, kids. Welcome to the Ancient Slumber Podcast, show number seven. My name is Chris Ward, and I am chatting today, as usual, with Myron Schmidt. How are you doing, Myron? Chris, what's up? Oh, everything's up. Everything's up in the air. Well, that's always good at our age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not when you're trying to have a piss, it's not. Well, all right. <laughs> uh, we begin as we intend to carry on, with a load of smut. Exactly. Exactly. Show number seven. Here we are. What are we doing today? Well, you know, aside from other stuff, we're going to finish the Hammered Horror Dracula stuff. Hammer Horror Dracula films. Yes, yes. All to that. Uh, We've got some good, some bad, and some ugly. And we're going to talk a little Arrow video release of The Mutilator. The Mutilator. That was pretty good. Was it? Yeah. 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 Yeah, I was the original front man in Cannibal Corpse. Yeah, I was going to say, if a corpse grinder ever drops off the face of the earth, you got the job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think my throat could withstand that, to be honest. Oh, probably not. And my windmill headbanging days are gone. <laughs> Gives me a headache. See, I just want to sit down with a cup of tea now. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, dear. You know, they need an old dude section at shows, you know, right next to the mosh pit, but kind of chained off where we could be served tea and biscuits. <laughs> Yeah, I'm up for that. I'm going to see Life of Agony in a few weeks. I might put that suggestion to them up in Wolverhampton. Ah, nice. Nice. Oh, I'm looking forward to that. It's going to be mental. But anyway, this isn't a music show. This is a film show. That's right. It is. You know, what's interesting. uh, The two, uh, three people over at uh, Screamcast are doing a heavy metal horror series. You should check that out. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, I will do. Yeah. The whole month of February, they're talking, uh, you know, heavy metal horror, and uh, they've always got good things to say. I bet they talk about trick or treat. The Ozzy Osbourne, Gene Simmons thing from the eighties. Yeah, I think they've mentioned it, but they're you know they they just uh, did an interview with uh, John Michael Thor, so. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, I'm sure Deathgasm's going to get a mention or two. They talk about it, yeah. If you're allowed to call it that in America, I don't know if you are, are you? Well, only Walmart's not allowed to call it that. <laughs> for Walmart, for God's sake! Uh, in these enlightened times we live in. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Moving on. Should we move into some good, some bad, and some ugly? Yes, let's do that. Let's do that. Right then, Myron, hit us with something good you've watched since the last show. I actually watched this a couple of days ago. It is called Hangman. I don't think it's called The. I think it's just Hangman. Hangman. It is a creepy-ass found footage. Of course it is. But it's a different take on a found footage. Well, it's good. Yes, it is. It is super just creepy. I mean, just when you you watch the whole thing through and then you start thinking about it, and you're going, holy shit, that's creepy. 
It's very, very good, and uh, it was recommended to me by the Screamcast guys. Ah, man, man, I don't don't know if that's out over here. I haven't heard of it. It, uh, I think it uh, did some circuits in 2015, but got a DVD release, Blu-ray release, 2016. Okay, okay. So uh, one to keep my eye on, is it? I think you would. I think you would like this found footage. Would I? It's not like Creep, but it has that Creep feel to it, and I know you didn't hate Creep. No, I didn't hate it. This one's better. Okay. Anyone we know in it? Jeremy Sisto. I don't know if you know who he is. He's a, you know. He's in Wrong Turn, isn't he? He might have been. Yeah, yeah, I know you mean. Is Wrong Turn on our list of franchises to cover? We will get there. Okay, I don't remember if it was on the list. Of course it is. How can I not talk about Wrong Turn? (laughs) At any given opportunity, I can talk about it. Backwoods Cannibal Horror. Oh, yes. You ever lived in a backwoods part of the country? Yeah, I live in the Midlands, yeah. Same thing. Okay. It's like backwoods, but with factories. Yeah, I spent 10 years in West Virginia. Not that it's backwoods, but you drive in some of the counties, you really uh, appreciate the poverty of the world at that point. Uh, Keep the engine running and do the windows up. Yeah, well, sometimes yes. (laughs) No, I'm talking about the Midlands. Oh, (laughs) jeez. Nice. Yeah, okay. (laughs) <laughs> if you say so. What about you in the uh, the good? In the good, what have I watched that's good? Uh, my little high-pitched noise was for. I watched the remake of The Crazies. You're calling a remake good? Yeah, I don't hate all remakes. I hate shit films. I don't just hate remakes. I gotcha. But uh, no, the remake of The Crazies is very good. Have you seen it? I have. I have it on Blu-ray. Yeah, so did I. I picked it up on Blu-ray for about 75p. That's about what I paid for it. Well, a buck and a half, so yeah. Yeah, I did have it on DVD with a nice flashy 3D lenticular sleeve, and then it, it suffered some water damage due to a leak in my uh, in my room here. So I thought, oh no, I'll replace it. And the replacement DVD was about 25p, or the Blu-ray was 75p, so I'll well get the Blu-ray. There you go. There you go. You can't beat Amazon markets, can you? No, you can't. And it takes place in beautiful but vacant poop-smelling Iowa. Oh, really? Oh, yes. Poop smelling. Oh, it stinks over there, does it? There is a stretch of Interstate 80 that goes right near the world's largest truck stop where you need a shot of penicillin to get in. (laughs) And it smells like poop. Swear to God. Every time I've driven through there, which is a lot, a lot, it smells like poop. Uh, Is it it farm country? What was your first clue? (laughs) Yeah, it was like over here when they're mucking out the fields and the wind's going in the right direction. Exactly. Yeah, I know the sort of place. But yeah, it's a good, it's a decent film. Um, have you seen the original? I have not. The George Romero one. Yeah, it's um the original. I like it, but it's very it's seventies George Romero. You know. Gotcha. It's very grim and very not well acted and. It's George Romero. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the remake's very good. It plays it a bit closer to more of a zombie film than the original does. I mean, they are essentially just, you know, infected zombies, same sort of thing, really. Yeah, exactly. But uh, no, I like it. It, it. I don't think it's brilliant. You know, I think there are bits where it drags. There are, maybe goes on 10 minutes too long. But overall, it's well acted. Timmy Oliphant's pretty good in it. The effects are good. It's got a nice atmosphere about it. Just a solid, it does. solid, solid it does. modern horror film. Liked it. I mean, this isn't the brilliant, the good, the sort of bad, the bad, and the really bad. You know, it's the mm. good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. So there you go. That was my good. 
My bad is a little uh, little film called The Veil. High hopes for this one. The Veil. Go on, then. It's got cults. It's got supernatural stuff right up my alley, but it just didn't come together. It just kind of misfired, and I was more interested checking my phone than I was watching the movie. Oh, that's not a good sign, is it? No, no, it's not. I, I, I don't know where it fell apart. I, I really – it just – for me, it just didn't click. Okay. Fair enough. Nothing else to say about it? No, not really. Oh. It had it had great possibilities. It just, for whatever reason, didn't click. Well, I haven't heard of that one. Okay, my bad. You've heard me talk about this one before. I gave it a rewatch to see if it really was as shit as I thought it was. Butcher Boys. Oh, God. You watched that again? <laughs> yes. It sat there on my shelf, and I thought, I needed something on in the background while I was doing something. I'll, I'll stick Butcher Boys on, because I didn't really remember much about it. That should have been your first clue. <laughs> yeah, I should listen to that in a voice a bit more often. Yes, we all should. <laughs> yeah, it's shit. It's Kim Henkel rewriting Texas Chainsaw Massacre again. Yeah. It's, I don't know, it's just, it just drags people in peril against a gang of people who want to eat them. There's a, there's a couple of good gore bits in it, but nothing you can't see anywhere else. Gotcha. It's... Yeah, I don't. I couldn't even say if I preferred it to Texas Chainsaw Massacre: The Next Generation. Ooh, that is bad. At least I can laugh at that. I couldn't laugh at Butcher Boys. It's you know, give it up, Kim Henkel. You've got one idea and you used it in 1974. So, well, you know, Kim Henkel did did come in and work on Eaten Alive, and that was uh, that was a good film. Yeah, but I think it was more Hooper than Henkel, wasn't it? Fair point. Yeah, Butcher Boys, you know, it was supposed to, it was originally scripted as a new Texas Chainsaw sequel. I'm glad they didn't call it that, but it is fucking bad. <laughs> and I do mean fucking bad. There's your ringing endorsement from Mr. Chris. I would love to see that on a, on a DVD cover. Chris said it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> Can't see it happening, but there you go. Go on then, give us something that's ugly. Oh. For whatever God. reason. Oh, I, I. I had a couple to choose from, and I decided to go on the movie called Hellions. Oh, well, yeah, I've heard Oi, oi. I, I don't even. Just, I think the concept was okay, um, but the, the execution was just, I mean, it's it's got demons in it, okay? So I was like, all right, I'm there with you. But, you know, and then there's a pregnancy involved and just long drawn out what people – acid trip scenes and it's like you know they did this in the 70s it was really good because nobody done it before but in modern day it's kind of eh, no just no it just just nope no more uncle okay i think they showed that at fright fest last year over here and i heard a few mixed reviews of it i think if you like it great it just for me it just it you know i'd rather watch the veil again <laughs> You'd rather watch your bad film than your ugly film. Yes. Okay, now. Okay. My, my ugly is a film called Manson from 2009. Another Manson movie? Oh, you know I'm obsessed with Charles Manson. Not in that way. H- have you seen, what is it called? The Manson Family, James Van... Jim Van Beber. That's the one. Yeah, I love that. It's so sleazy. It's great. It's not bad. To be honest, out of all the Manson films that I've seen, that is probably the one that I have watched more than once because it's like, yeah, this captures something about the madness of it all. 
and that's what made it work, and that's where Hellions didn't work, is you could use all that hippie trippy stuff in a movie about the Manson family because it works well. The hippie trippy stuff in Hellions, not so much. Okay, well this one, this one, Manson, I saw it on Netflix. It's um, from 2009, directed by Neil Rawls. It's based around an interview with uh, the family member, Linda Kasabian. Ah, okay. Who uh, was in the gang, obviously, repents and all that sort of stuff. It doesn't show her face all the way, but if you turn up the brightness on the TV, you can make her out. <laughs> Little tip for all the stalkers out there. No, it's weird. it centers around an interview with her, and then they um, fictionalize uh, what she's saying, or they dramatize, sorry, with what she's saying. With actors acting out, you know, the, the familiar things that we know. It's bad. The interview with her is fine, what she says and the way she paints the picture, but the dramatization is terrible. The guy who plays Manson is, he's more Marilyn Manson than Charles Manson. It's, I don't know. And the narrative leans too much towards the, the prosecution lawyer's version of events. What's his name? Uh, the guy who wrote Helter Skelter, uh, Vincent. Bugliosi. Bugliosi. It's obviously, he's obviously got an influence in it, and they paint Charles Manson to be this massive cult leader who just clicked his fingers and everyone did as he says, when the truth really is that he was a scruffy little man who was no more than a petty thief, who, you know, used the power of drugs and sex to influence people. Exactly. Um, but they, they, they really dramatize everything that Linda Kasabian says and they make it into something that it's, it's, I mean, obviously I wasn't there. I can't say if it's true or not, but it just, it, it clashes with the other accounts of what I've read and what I've heard. And I just didn't like it. So yeah, it was an ugly thing to watch. That's why I've put it in the ugly section. It wasn't bad as in, oh, this is terrible. Absolutely terrible. Uh, because there were bits and bobs. Obviously, if you're interviewing somebody from the Manson family, you're going to get something. So there, there was a couple of interesting tidbits in there, but you know, there are better accounts out there. It, exactly. Here's a little known fact about me there the i don't know if it was a theater movie but i know it was a tv movie uh helter skelter yes scared the crap out of me when i was a wee lad yeah oh that's the one God. of the 70s isn't it yes it yeah. was creepy it was one of the first things that uh made a uh indelible impression of uh ooh, this horror thing is pretty good on me yeah, see, I'm obsessed with the whole Manson thing. I'm reading a brilliant book at the moment, which is just called The Life and Times of Charles Manson, which is fantastic. I got it for five five pounds from the works. <laughs> go and get it. There you go. Yeah, really, really good. Really goes in depth. It's more about him than the crimes themselves. So uh, it's more of a personal sort of account. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. Which lays it out much more than the, this film did. You know, I don't I don't know so much anymore, but every time he would come up for parole. They would do a, you know, a slew of TV interviews. Mm. You know, the best thing with people like Manson, just forget about him. Yeah. Go away, go away, little man. Just go away. He's, he doesn't turn up for his parole hearings now, does he? No, he does TV interviews instead. Yeah. And he leaps, he leaps around and shouts a lot and talks a load of bollocks. And because that's what, you know, he's a performer now. That's what people yep. expect. Yep. He's just a little man with ideas above his station. That's all he is. Yeah, exactly. And we need to uh, accept that and mm. just forget about him. Mm. Well, he's got to be, he's got to be in his, what, mid-80s now? Don't know. Who knows? Probably. He probably does. Although, then again, maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> but there you go. Yeah, that was my ugly. Should we move on? You know, let's move on. Moving on. Right. We have part two of our Hammer Dracula series. Ooh. 
Don't know what that was for. Right. Me neither. It sounded good, sort of. Brilliant. So, yeah, last time we looked at the first five films, which were Dracula, a.k.a. Horror of Dracula, The Brides of Dracula, Dracula Prince of Darkness, Dracula Has Risen from the Grave, and Taste the Blood of Dracula. So we begin with Scars of Dracula. That's right. From 1970. Yes. Released as the same year as the other one, correct? It was. It came the same year as Taste the Blood of Dracula's. So it was a bit of a bumper year for Hammer then. I can't think off the top of my head what else came out that year, but uh, they were quite they were chucking the films out around this time. I think the um, Karnstein trilogy came out around this time as well. And there was a couple of Frankensteins to boot. So they were pretty busy. Good old Hammer. They were. They were throwing them out. So uh, let's hear a clip and then we'll dive in with some facts. Hunt him. Attack him. This evil must be destroyed. Burn down! Burn down his citadel of evil. You fools! You think you can destroy my master? The flames will never reach him! He is evil. He is the embodiment of all that is evil. He is the very devil himself. Dracula's reign of horror reaches out even further. Stop! A winged creature of terror becomes Dracula's most fearsome new ally. Enter Dracula's stronghold at your peril. There is one way into his innermost sanctum. You will tell me everything! Tell me! Oh, oh, he was here! It's true, he was here! Got away! You must get away too. Now! One way in, and no way out. There is no escape from the all-embracing evil of the humans who do his bidding. From the creature that extends his power, there is no escape. Not even for the protected from the scars of Dracula. Take her with you. You'll do terrible things to her if you don't. Terrible things. Scars of Dracula, 1970, directed by Roy Ward Baker and starring Christopher Lee, Dennis Waterman, Jenny Hanley, Christopher Matthews, Patrick Troughton, Michael Gwynn, Michael Ripper, yay! <laughs> and Bob Todd. Right. Did you say Bob Turd? Bob Todd. Oh. You don't know who sorry. Bob Todd is? Sorry, Bob. No, I live in America. Now, Bob Todd was, he plays like the mayor who bursts in and his daughter when she's getting naughty near the beginning. Ah, right, right. The guy who walks in and chases her up the stairs, that's Bob Todd. He would be known in over here, he was in the Benny Hill show. The Benny Hill show. You, you, you aware of Benny Hill? I'm painfully aware of Benny Hill. Yeah, well, Bob Todd was a regular on there, so that's where most people know him from. I gotcha. Right then, in this film, 
A young man is on a trip and he spends the night at Dracula's castle. Needless to say, he's murdered. And after some time has passed, the young man's brother, Simon, comes to the small town to look for him. Which is basically, I ripped that off of IMDb because I'm dreadfully unprepared as per usual. <laughs> right then, Scars of Dracula. You've never seen this one before, had you? I haven't seen any of the Hammer Dracula, so this was a first watch for me. Right then, give it to us. What did you think? It wasn't bad. I think compared to the first five, we're starting to see a little decline, but maybe that's just me. But most importantly, I believe this is the first appearance of a naked butt. (laughs) Whatever, or just in Dracula? Just in the Dracula series. And it wasn't Christopher Lee's, thankfully. No. (laughs) Oh, God, help us all. Well, it's interesting you pick up on that, actually, because... As I said, this was 1970, around the time that Hammer was starting to up their game a little bit. Right, exactly. Obviously, Night of the Living Dead was two years old. We'd had Rosemary's Baby and a few other bits and bobs. You know, uh, Last House on the Left was was on its way. So, yeah, Hammer were up in their game a little bit. And we did start to get a little bit of naked flesh here and there. And, And also, most notably, in Scars of Dracula, it's the most bloody one of the lot. There's more blood in this than any of the others. Yes, yes, there was. It's quite brutal in places, as is the bat that we see at the beginning, (laughs) because we get to see a vampire bat. Yes, yes, we do. Or some papier-mâché hastily stuck together and thrown around (laughs) on a string. I, when I was watching it, I was taking a few, you know, highlight notes. I, of course, noted the nudity. Of course, just for research purposes. Only. For research purposes only. Okay. I, I believe at one point a bat motorboated, and I have noted a buxom young lass. <laughs> Kudos to Hammer. Oh, yes. <laughs> but overall, I really, uh, I, I did like the film, but I'm, and I guess we'll talk more about this, but uh, I think we're starting to see a, a small decline in the uh, even Hammer quality of uh, Dracula films. Yeah, Scars of Dracula, I think, is a very middling Dracula film. Yes. It's on a par, I think, with Dracula has risen from the grave, I think. Uh, and when we get around to doing our preferred order, those are the two that I had a, a bit of a battle with, which one I preferred. I think that it's notable the fact that this is Roy Ward Baker directing it, not Terence Fisher or any of the, or Freddie Francis. And I think when we get to uh, The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, that was directed by Roy Ward Baker. And I think there's a little bit of a style similarity between the two, particularly with the makeup on Christopher Lee, which goes really bad in the last one when it's not on Christopher Lee, it's on somebody else. But yes, yes. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah, I think Christopher Lee looks fed up, completely fed up in this one. Well, we, we talked last time that uh, apparently the guilt train is working hard on Chris Lee again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, is he is he knighted? Do we have to address him as Sir Christopher Lee? He was knighted, yes. He's, oh, yes. How very rude of me, Sir Chris. Yes. Yeah. So you know, apparently, uh, you know, Sir Chris uh, was again guilted in. He didn't want to put a bunch of people out of work. No, he's fine. Um, I think they put some extra makeup on him to try and make him look a bit pale with the red eyes and all that sort of stuff. Yes. He's still got the screen presence. He still looks menacing, but. He doesn't do anything out of the ordinary in this one. No, no. I mean, you could tell he's starting to phone these in. Yeah, yeah. We get Dennis Waterman appearing as Simon, who's looking for his missing brother. Yes. You don't know Dennis Waterman, is do you? No. 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 Dennis Waterman is 
known over here in the late 70s there was a cop show called the sweeney you have you heard of that no no uh, there was a cop show called the sweeney um he was the sort of john thor was the main cop in that and dennis waltman played his sidekick Ah, uh, and then in the eighties, Dennis Waltman was known for a TV series called Minder. He played um, the bodyguard of a second-hand car dealer in London. Yeah, very well-known TV actor. Um, still on TV now. Why does a second-hand car dealer need a bodyguard? <laughs> oh, because it's Arthur Daly. He was a dodgy car dealer. Okay. <laughs> who went around, you know, doing his dodgy deals and not making very many friends. So Dennis Waltman played Terry the Minder. In America, everyone assumes second-hand car dealers are dodgy, so. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, fe- no, no offense to any of our two or three listeners that may be used car salesmen. We're sorry. Apologize to both of our listeners there. <laughs> right. <laughs> One of them being me when I play it back later on to edit it. <laughs> yeah, Dennis Waterman, though, he's a very well-known face. This was one of his earlier roles. Um, I do believe that it was Hammer's, Hammer hand-picked him for the role, but Roy Ward Baker wasn't so keen. Didn't want him for the role, but he got it. I think he did fine. He's fine, in it? Roy Ward, you were wrong. <laughs> he's absolutely fine. Um, it's a little bit wimpier role than he would go on to be, because he's sort of one of those sort of tough guy TV actors. But uh, yeah, he's absolutely fine. Uh, we also get Patrick Troughton in this one as Clove. Now, you liked Clove when he appeared in Dracula Prince of Darkness, didn't you? I loved Clove and Dracula, Prince of Darkness. He was played by Philip Latham there. So Patrick Troughton here, did you recognise him? I did not. Shame, shame, shame. I know. Go back to our Omen series. The first Omen film, the priest who gets speared in the churchyard. Patrick Troughton. Patrick Troughton. Very nice. Yes, he popped up in a lot of things in the 70s. Very cool. Yeah. Um, But he played a very different type of Clove, and he reminded me in this film i don't know if you've seen it have you seen uh son of frankenstein no the universal film with karloff as the monster and bella lugosi plays like the little sort of igor character and patrick Troughton is very very similar to that ah gotcha and i don't know whether that's deliberate or not but um it could be but uh yeah he's always good fun when he pops up michael ripper's in this of course playing the landlord of the inn because that's the role he plays in nearly every hammer film <laughs> I think this problem with this film is, although there's a lot of faces in it, there's no real solid characters in it. There's no real Van Helsing in it. No, there's not. And that's what's lacking. Like I say, Dennis Waterman is sort of the quote-unquote hero of the piece, but he's very watered down, I think, from what you would expect. From a strong Van Helsing-type character. Yeah, I think that's the character rather than him. And it's almost... uh... You know, who wants to follow uh, Sir Peter Cushing? Peter Cushing wasn't a sir. What? He wasn't knighted. He was, I think he was an OBE, but he wasn't a sir. Well, let's get the queen on the blower and fix this. Well, it's a bit late now. Well, oh, you guys can't do the posthumously knight people thing? No. That's kind of daft, don't you think? No, what would be the point in knighting someone who's dead? They hardly can come and defend the country, can they? Well, let's at least lodge a plaint with the old bird. Let's get the queen on the blower. (laughs) <laughs> there's american thinking for you i'll just phone her up fella that's exactly right i think i'm one of the i'm one of the last people who's ever gonna get put through <laughs> does she have a twitter account can we can we lodge a complaint that one <laughs> yeah okay this is chris i live in the sauce place of your country i'd like a register complaint <laughs> yeah i'm pretty sure peter cushing wasn't because i know he he did get some 
posthumous thing. And I'm sure it was an OBE. And I remember Christopher Lee saying something about it. Hang on, I'm going to look that up now because that's going to bother me. But while you're looking that up, I mean, it's it, it, who would like to follow Peter Cushing? Certainly not me. No, he's a tough act to follow, especially from those yes. first couple of films. A- absolutely. But uh, yeah, and I think that's what's lacking this film. It Scars of Dracula feels like a very hastily put together film. I get the feeling they got Christopher Lee in to do Taste the Blood of Dracula and went, right, while well, we've got him, let's rush something else, put something else together. Exactly. That's exactly what it feels like. Here we go. Peter Cushing, OBE. Okay, gotcha. He wasn't a sir. No. That's really too bad. That is a shame. I, I do remember there was a quote from um, Christopher Lee from, from when it, he was awarded it, and I think he said it was something like too little too late. Yes. I'm very disappointed in uh, Queen Elizabeth. Well, you and me both, but I have been since. <laughs> we won't get political here, but there we go. Yeah. I wonder if Donald Trump wants the job of monarch in England. Can you take him? <laughs> well, yeah, well, we'll see what happens there. <laughs> well, we did we did give you Piers Morgan, so. Yeah, but I think we sent him back, didn't we? Yeah, you fucking did, didn't you? <laughs> we did. Couldn't, couldn't we just floated away, moved the country somewhere else so he couldn't find his way back? <laughs> we're, we're trying to give away Donald Trump, but it just isn't working. <laughs> got, got no takers. I love, I love all these people coming, like Barack Obama's going out and said, oh yeah, there's no way Donald Trump's going to be made president. And then you hear, Trump's doing really well in the polls in this part of the country. And, oh shit. <laughs> what are you guys doing over there? I ask myself that every day. <laughs> so what's your, what's your rating? My rating on Scars of Dracula. I'm going to give it a three. Three coffins out of five. It's got a bit of atmosphere to it. I like the fact that it's a bit bloodier. It's pretty cool to see Dennis Waterman in a in an early role. There's a bit more nudity, but it doesn't. It's not a film that leaps any higher than that. It's like there's no ambition to it. It's just let's knock out a Dracula film. We've got Christopher Lee. Let's do something. Exactly. I went with three out of five coffins too. Yeah, we agree on that one. Yeah, it's a very middle. It's not bad. It's not bad at all. You know, if it, if you were perusing the channels late one night and it was on, sit and watch it. It's perfectly enjoyable. I had to go back and look at my rankings I gave the first five we did, and I put it on par with Brides. So, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a solid three film. Okay, yeah, we're agreed on that. It's a three film. Right then. Let's move on to the grooviest of the Hammer Dracula films. Yes. It is the grooviest, for sure. It is. We are moving on to Dracula, A.D. 1972. Woo! Yesterday, Dracula was the most fearsome being the screen has ever seen. Today, tonight, you, you, you could be Dracula's next victim. new yet as old as time come on johnny a date with the devil are you ready he's ready he's waiting to freak you out right out of this world he died september the 18th 1872 a hundred years ago to the day it must 
swear before the name of the devil to keep it secret. Who knows about vampires, for God's sake? My grandfather died fighting a vampire. The most terrible, the most dangerous vampire of all time. The year is 1972. A leap year in horror. A vintage year for vampires. Masters of Horror to meet again in the 20th century. Come to me, come Dracula! Funnily, it was released in 1972. They could make them and knock them out pretty quick, couldn't they? Yes, they could. Right then, directed by Alan Gibson and starring Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, Stephanie Beecham, Christopher Nee, Michael Coles, Caroline Monroe, Philip Miller, Michael Kitchen, and lots of other people we don't know. So how does one address or would address uh, Mr. Cushing as an OBE? That's not a sir. Is there any honorific titles you uh you lot give them you can either call him peter or mr cushing <laughs> nice well done i think the obe is just more handy if you're typing out a letterhead or something like that ah gotcha <laughs> right then go on then loved it <laughs> great i knew film. You <laughs> I, I mean this one is it, it's my favorite out of all okay um, it is absolutely batshit off the wall Groovy, crazy, loved the costuming, 1972, great stuff. Just, I mean, it's great stuff. <laughs> I don't remember, but remember the house party scene? Yes. You know, where they, they just kind of crash a house and they're partying away. And I, did somebody yell fuzz or what, what was the, uh, what was the cops thing? <laughs> yeah, fuzz, that slang name for the police. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved it. I loved it. And then they got the weird, creepy dude who's like waiting till the last second to leave. Oh, Christopher Neem, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I rewatched this uh, last night, so it's very fresh uh, in my mind. It's great stuff. Excellent. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I didn't note it, sadly. But I, I think there was nudity in this one, right? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. Yep, yep. Right, let me begin. Go ahead. People often ask me, people often say to me, <laughs> you always get asked, you know, what was the first horror film you saw? This could be it. It was either this or Jaws when I was very, very young. And I remember this being on the telly and I sat and watched it with my sister. So straight away, I've got endless nostalgic love for this film. Ah, gotcha. This is one of my very early things. This is my favourite of the Dracula series. 
I'm not surprised. It's I know if you ever I mean you can't now, but if you ever met Christopher Lee and said you like this film, he'd probably beat you with his walking stick because he hated it. Did he really? Yeah. They obviously persuaded him back for this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Lots of people hate this film, and it's really weird because obviously it's not Dracula in the fullest sense of the real character in modern day London. Isn't that part of the catch of the movie? Well, I mean, after Scars of Dracula, Scars of Dracula was the last of the gothic ones. Where else were they going to go? They told that story so many times over the previous five films. They obviously wanted to do something different. They managed to bribe Christopher Lee with something. (laughs) They got Peter Cushing involved. Maybe it was the fact that Cushing was doing it that Christopher Lee came back to do it. I don't know. But um, it's such a fantastic film. We open up on that house party scene with the band Stone Ground playing in somebody's lounge. Some I know, right? <laughs> Chelsea apartment. <laughs> I always find it odd that when the mother of the house is talking to her posh son and she says, I only told you to invite one or two friends. And he says, I only invited the Stone Ground. You think, how the hell do you know a band like that? But yeah, I mean, Stone Ground, it's an early 70s American rock band fronted by someone who looks like Jeff Goldblum. Exactly. Lo- loved every minute of it. At an apartment in Chelsea. It's awesome. Yeah, it's brilliant. It it sets the tone, even though I've always said this film feels more like 1968 London than it does 1972. It's very, very groovy. There's a cracking soundtrack on it, which I really must get the vinyl <laughs> off. It's good stuff. You even look at the cover of the DVD. It looks like one of those typical 70s collages put together. A busty Stephanie Beecham, a fast car and Dracula's face looming over the top. It's brilliant. It's perfect. Yeah, in this film, you know, we get the opening fight between Dracula and Van Helsing back in the 19th century. Both of them get killed, but Dracula's remains are picked up by Mr. Alucard, which is a strange name. But if you write it down, you can see why he's called that. Absolutely. It takes Peter Cushing quite a while to figure that one out in the film, but he gets there in the end. (laughs) Well, you know. Yeah, and then we fast forward 100 years. We're in 1972 London. And Johnny Alucard, played by Christopher Neem, gets all his friends together for a little black mass in a church to resurrect Dracula. That's right. In one of the most hilarious scenes you'll see in any film ever. <laughs> as soon as he puts that music on and he says, dig the music, kids. I know, I couldn't stop laughing. It is hilarious. Give yourself to it. <laughs> I know. I can imagine Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing doing a script reading for this, just thinking, oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> exactly. But I can picture that. We're laughing at this film, but it is the most fun 90 minutes you're possibly ever going to have. It is hilariously brilliant. Yeah. Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee play their roles absolutely straight, which helps, really does help with it. Cushing looks very, very gaunt in this film. There is a reason for that. That was uh, This was one of the ones he did just after his wife died. So he was sort of... I think it was with Horror Express was his comeback film, and I think Christopher Lee had to persuade him to do that. So he wasn't in a good place personally. But um, he's on his A-game in this film, though. Absolutely. Yeah, he still runs around, still does his own stunts. Um, he does stop, stop for breath in a couple of the running scenes. <laughs> well... Poor guy. Yeah, uh, originally, um, I think I read somewhere that um, Stephanie Beecham was supposed to play his daughter in the film, but they decided because he looked so gaunt and old, they make her a granddaughter instead. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. 
But yeah, Stephanie Beecham plays his granddaughter, who's part of the, the gang, who obviously becomes the focal point for Dracula's interest. And I'm not right. surprised with that pendulous cleavage. <laughs> Quite frankly, I mean, that her chest should win an award for best support, honestly. <laughs> well said. Yes. And the camera isn't shy of going right in there to show you as well. Oh, no. Hammer was trying to keep up with the time. They were. They were. <laughs> but, yep, yeah, Stephanie Beecham's very good in this. She plays a very uh, a jaunty, nice character. Uh, we also get Caroline Monroe, a Hammer regular, and also Bond girl. Which Bond girl did she play? She is in The Spy Who Loved Me. She plays the helicopter pilot. When she's chasing Bond, he's in the White Lotus, and she pulls up alongside him and winks at him, and then he shoots the missile up and blows it up. Really? Yes. Yeah, very cool. Yeah, I can't remember the character's name, but yes, she's in The Spy Who Loved Me. But yeah, this film is just an absolute blast from beginning to end. It's totally of its time. There are filmmakers today who were trying to make what we might call retro films that are basically trying to look like this, and this is the genuine article. Absolutely. Absolutely. Quick question. Go on, She has a same physical appearance to the Moonraker uh, evil Bond villain girl, Colleen Dufrier, or however you say it. Yes. They're very, very similar appearance. Yeah, they're not the same person. I, I know they're not, but it uh, just never mind. My mind wandered to Bond girl. Sorry. Is that... The actress you just mentioned, is she the same actress who's in Hitchhike with David Hess? If so, she gets a kit off in that. Just thought I'd tell you. I don't know. You know, but you'll be looking it up later. Probably. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good film, Hitchhike. Just been released on Blu-ray by 88 Films over here. Oh, very cool. Yeah, definitely worth a look. But yeah, Dracula AD 1972. What do you give it? I give this five coffins out of five. I, I do too. Yeah. It was This was actually the very first... Hammer Dracula one I watched because you went on and on about it. So when I ordered the movies, that was the very first one I watched and loved it. Yeah, I can understand the purists who watch this and go, oh, well, it's not Dracula. It's not Bram Stoker. And it's not this and the other. Fine. If you don't want to enjoy yourself, don't watch it. <laughs> it's brilliant. It's just such good fun. It, it looks good. It's filmed well. The soundtrack's brilliant. The acting isn't great on the most part, but you've got Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee. For the first time together in a Dracula film since the very first Dracula back in the 50s. Yes. Yes. So, yeah, we've got all, all the elements in place, really. And it works. It's just brilliant. It absolutely is. And we even get a nice bloody death at the end for old old Drac. <laughs> Always a plus. And there's some great lines in this as well. It's very quotable. <laughs> oh, yes. Tell us about the blood, Johnny. <laughs> what a great line. Dig the music, kid. <laughs> I'm going to have to try and isolate that sound bite and use it as a ringtone <laughs> but but this is interesting because it's the best of the series but it's uh, you know it's in the last four that were really uh, not as good as the first five so mm, yeah, you, you know what I mean I mean it's a very high point yeah but the, the other three that we're going to the other two we're going to talk about they don't even come close well, we'll get to that when we do our summing up, I think. Yay! Yes. So, with that in mind, should we move on? To 1973. Yes, and the satanic rites of Dracula. Absolutely. It's happening right now in London. New York could be next. 
or Paris, or Rome, or Tokyo. It's happening right now to this girl. Perhaps it's your turn next. We are not dealing with ordinary criminals. The real force is more sinister, more obscene than any monstrosity you can think of. Lord of corruption, master of the undead. Count Dracula. Nothing is too vile. Nothing is too dreadful. You need to know the terror, the horror. what you want, Count Dracula. A last blaze of utter horror and violence, ghastly annihilation of an entire planet. Is this your own death wish? I call upon you to witness my supreme trial. Directed by Alan Gibson again. Written again by Don Houghton. And it does have Christopher Lee. It does. And it has Peter Cushing. Aye. And we have Michael Coles returning, who plays the Detective Murray. But we have a new cut, another new cast. We have Joanna Lumley replacing Stephanie Beecham. And there's probably no one else that we've ever heard of appearing in this. <laughs> no, there's a couple of faces that you recognize from British TV, but... Uh... Richard Vernon's in it, uh, William Franklin's in it, uh, Barbara Euling. They're probably the main people. And Patrick Barr, yes. So yeah, 1973, I think Hammer thought maybe we've got Peter Cushing, we've got Christopher Lee, we've got Dracula in London, let's do one more. Exactly. I only have three notes written about this. Go on then. That's three more than me. I absolutely love the lamb wool lined vests that every villain uses <laughs> yeah yeah oh my god i nicknamed them the order of the furry vest yeah well it's cold out there in those country mansions well let's say fuzzy vest not furry yeah. i like fuzzy better but oh my god every bad guy had one of these vests on it was absolutely hysterical did you notice the mini reel-to-reel recorder in the watch <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah i i, I noted how very cue of them yeah, well, there's a lot of James Bond Hammer crossover bits and bobs. Yeah. Caroline Monroe, for instance, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And sadly, that was the uh, highlights of the film for me. Yeah, this is an odd one. It's very odd. 
Very odd. I think they thought, we've got all those elements that worked last time, let's do it all again. Yes, that's exactly what they did. They got the occult, they got Christopher Lee, they got Mr. Cushing, they've got the Order of the Fuzzy Vests. Mm. It's going to work. I, I Can you believe at the pitch meeting, how do we got to tell the bad guys apart? Ooh, let's put them in furry vests. <laughs> and dark glasses. Dark glasses. Yeah. They won't stand out at all. Yeah, they'll blend into the scenery. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's a very strange one because tonally, this is very different to the last film. This film isn't fun, and I think that's the difference. This feels very much like a 1970s cop show. Yes. Like they... the Sweeney, like I said before, or um, all the professionals, or any of those sort of TV series. You, you know that when they made uh, AD 72, nobody must have taken themselves seriously. Apart from Christopher Lee. Yes. And <laughs> Exactly. But I think here they all tried to take themselves way too seriously and make, like you said, a 70s cop show. Yeah, it's very it feels it's a very grey film. Lots of concrete in all the shots around London. There's there's no colour to it. Exactly. It's very it's more downbeat. You get lots of wacka 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 guitar soundtracks. So it really does sound like the professionals. Yes. If you remember that show. Christopher Lee doesn't have a lot to do in this one. Peter Cushing is his usual gallant self. He's probably the best one in it. Um, I quite enjoyed Michael Coles as Inspector Murray again, even though Murray seemed to have forgotten everything that happened in AD 72. <laughs> he seemed, someone must have wiped his memory, and then he's gone back to find Van Helsing to find out what all this vampire nonsense is all about. Exactly. Couldn't stand Joanna Lumley as Jessica this time around. I can't stand her in anything anyway. But she wasn't fun like Stephanie Beecham was in the first one. Yeah, the, agreed. The first one, the last one. She was very bland, very downbeat. Yeah, it's it's an odd one. It's they're trying to set up a bigger cult conspiracy of Dracula, you know, becoming a big businessman and trying to he's trying to bring back the plague or something, isn't he? Something weird like that. So he could wipe out all of humanity as revenge. Although we don't find what revenge for because nobody ever actually says. But that's all, all Peter Cushing, all Van Helsing says is he wants revenge on mankind. For what? <laughs> what have they done to him? It was the uh, business-like meeting where Peter Cushing was just kind of sitting there. There was just like, okay, I'm done, I'm out, that's mm. it. Yeah, it's uh, it's not one. Um, yeah, they use the mansion that I think is the same country house that was in Devil Rides Out uh, from a few years before. Um, we've got a Chinese woman who's sort of the head of the occult there. Um, there's a lot of nudity. There's a little bit of um, uh, a sacrifice ritual going on. Yep, Some, yep. And they take all the her clothes off and then stab her with a knife. And there's all there's a few interesting things they could have in the setup, but it's an episode of the Sweeney basically with Dracula as the villain. Exactly. Yeah, they could have brought Dennis Waterman back in, couldn't they, to reprise his role there? A- absolutely. Yeah, I do remember this seeing this years ago. When I was a teenager, it was on telly and I taped it. And for ages, it was the only Dracula film that I, ha- I had. So I watched it loads and loads. And I really liked it when I was a teenager. I actually, in English class at school, I rewrote it. I took the scene. You know the scene where Peter Cushing comes face to face with Dracula in the office? Yes. I did that as an English essay and I rewrote it. And I wish I still had it because I think I did a better job, to be honest. <laughs> you probably did. <laughs> I don't know why I took, I just, that that scene, I do like that scene, it's very good, but yeah, I just thought it needed a bit of change. Have you ever seen the Cold Check Night Stalker TV, sh- American TV show? No. This movie would fit 
as an excellent Cold Check Night Stalker episode. Okay. By the way, if you ever get a chance to to see any of those, I think you, with your love of Hammer Horror, would appreciate them. You would you would just I think you'd eat them up. Okay, I shall add that to the list. But yeah, there's not a lot else to say about this film. It's nope. no. If I'd like to say it makes a nice double bill with the film that came before it, but it doesn't. Nope. Um, it probably makes a better double bill if you've got a box set of the Sweeney to get through. <laughs> you could stick this on the end, and it's tonally it fits right in. For me, it was the most forgettable of all nine. Yeah, I think it's the most forgettable, possibly, but I don't think it's the worst one. If that makes sense. Really? Yeah, it's not my least favorite. We've only got one movie left. Okay. In fact, I've just called up my letterbox review, and I did give this three stars. What? Yeah, I'll tell you what I wrote. I wrote, the second of the Hammer Dracula films set in modern-day London, this lacks the campy kitsch of Dracula AD 72 and seems rather flat in comparison. You do get Lee and Cushing going head-to-head for the final time as Dracula and Van Helsing, but it all seems rather tired. Yeah, three stars. Hmm, I might go a little less than that. I might go two and a half. I gave it two out of five coffins. Yeah, I'm going to give it two and a half because, again, I've got a little bit of nostalgic love for it just because it was one I had on video for a long time. But yeah, it's not one I'm going to return to very often. Uh, It's public domain, I think, so if you want to watch it, it is out there online. You haven't got to pay for it, which is probably best. (laughs) I paid $5 for it. Well, that's not my fault, and I'm not reimbursing you. (laughs) I'm still waiting for my $10 reimbursement from the next generation. Fuck off. (laughs) You should be paying me for recommending these things to you. (laughs) (laughs) Right then, should we move on? Let's do it. Right. 1974, The Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires. Or as I like to call it, The Dying Breath of the Hammer Dracula series. Yeah, let's play a trailer. Black Belt against Black Magic. In the greatest battle of all time. As the seven brothers and their one sister meet Dracula. Drink the blood of the virgins and turn them into zombies. You haven't seen Kung Fu until you've seen the seven brothers and their one sister in action against Dracula. Hey, 
see the 10,000-year-old monster disintegrate before your eyes as the seven brothers and their one sister meet Dracula. Right then. Legend of the Seven Golden Vampires, 1974, directed by Roy Ward Baker and also Chi Chang, uncredited. Absolutely. Starring, and I'm going to murder most of these names, but Peter Cushing, I can say that one. Yes. Peter Cushing, Robin Stewart, Julie Edge, David Chang, Han Chen Wang, John Forbes Robertson. All right then, hit me with it. What do you think? Okay, this one is the most batshit crazy out of all of them. <laughs> I mean, it is absolute batshit crazy. Yep. We have a obvious Kung Fu Shaolin thingy passing a nativity scene on the way to a castle. What the hell's a nativity scene doing? But whatever. Who meets up with Dracula, blah, blah, blah. There's seven golden vampires in China. Uh, I need your help. Oh, sure, but I'm going to take over your body. So now we have Dracula possessing a kung fu master. <laughs> God help us all. Yeah. And it just goes from there. It's basically, it's Shaw Brothers meets Hammer. This was a year after Enter the Dragon, so kung fu was everywhere. Exactly. Um, Hammer, th- you know, they were losing ground by this time. You know, Chainsaw Massacre was out the same year. You know, The Exorcist had come out the year before. And this is what you get. (laughs) I'll come straight off the bat and say this is my least favorite of the series. I don't like this film. The only one I disliked more was Satanic Rites. Okay, yeah. See, I'd rather watch Satanic Rites than this. It had some great kung fu action in it, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. The action is very well shot. It had some awesome, awesome 70s martial arts stuff in it. Yeah. It's also got John Forbes Robertson as Dracula. <laughs> Who's not Sir Christopher Lee. No, he's got more makeup on than Jack Nicholson's Joker, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> or as Hammered Horror put it, it was Dee Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Yeah, see, Hammered Horror had covered this film on their last show, and I think they liked it a little more than I did as well. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, too. <laughs> I don't like this film. I, it bores me. I quite like the look of the Chinese vampires. I like the martial arts scenes. It's the bits in between I don't like. It just bores me. <laughs> now, now listen. Those big bats that that they wore, those necklaces. Yeah. I know if Flavor Flav has ever seen this, he is <laughs> thinking, how can I integrate a bat with my clock? That's it. And, and you got to love it. At one point, doesn't somebody pull off one of the bats and actually let the air out of a vampire? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's all sorts of nonsense in this film I know but sticking with the uh, public enemy thing we've got Peter Cushing back as Van Helsing fighting the power hey you see what I did there hey 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 yeah Um, yes yes I don't know how they sold this to Peter Cushing he was obviously sure of a few quid especially after they made him stand in the middle of the Chinese desert with that ridiculous pith hat and what looked like a light pink scarf around it. Yeah, he looked a bit like Kenneth Williams in uh, one of those carry-on films. I just, I'm like, this is Peter Cushing. Why are you dressing him that poorly? Yeah. <laughs> the, the scarf. Yeah. At least now we have the knowledge that Star Wars was only a couple of years away. It gets, some, cre- gets some credibility back. <laughs> uh, you can see why Christopher Lee said no to this <laughs> oh my god I, <laughs> I think that would have improved it if christopher lee was in it 
Oh. Christopher Lee with his biggest grimacing face ever, <laughs> clearly disapproving of everything. <laughs> Do you think they even tried to call Chris for this one? He was offered the role, apparently. Apparently, he read the script and declined. <laughs> oh, how far do you think he got through the script? Uh, I don't reckon he got very much past the first scene. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> I'm surprised John Ford Robertson did it, because he's, he's quite a well-known actor, I think. He's done quite a few things. He was dubbed in this as well. He was what now? He was dubbed. That's not his voice. Apparently, he wasn't very happy that he got dubbed as well. That's hilarious. Yeah. Yes, our our friends over at Hammered Horror did... Uh... They gave that interesting factoid about the Chinese film industry shoots with no voices and then dubs everything. Yes. And I, I found that. I was like, wow, that's really interesting and makes a lot of sense. And, you know. <laughs> yeah. And then you end up with that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I Again, I don't like this film. Oh, there you go. I've just looked up a little fact. Apparently, John Forbes Robertson was considered for the role of Dracula in Scars of Dracula before Christopher Lee was persuaded to return. Oh, that is a fact. So we could have got him him in an earlier one, hopefully with less makeup. <laughs> he does look like a drag queen. It's terrible. He looks he looks a bit like Grandpa Munster. That's exactly who he looks like. Yes, he does. He looks like a yes. of Grandpa Munster, doesn't he? It's that yes. overdone, caked on makeup. Ooh, he's scary. No, he's not. Yeah, right. Yeah, he yeah. looks like a tart. Nothing more to say for me. Not for me. If you like Kung Fu and you like horror films, then... Watch Enter the Dragon and then watch Dracula Prince of Darkness and it would be more effective than watching this. That's right. Yeah, I don't like this film. Let's be honest. The third Blade movie is better than this. Well, now, hang on. Let's have a think about that. I haven't watched the third Blade movie for a long time. For good reason. See, I told you. Yeah, actually, you could be right. Well, no, I don't know. I can't remember it. Oh, well. Yeah, uh, right, yeah, uh, I gave this... Two, two out of five, two coffins out of five, because the martial arts is good, and I like some of the effects and the vampire stuff. But I, I gave it two point five only to uh, put it up over uh, Satanic Rites. Oh, controversy! Yeah. Oh, right then. So that's Hammer Dracula series. They didn't do any more after this. You fucking wonder why? Thank God. Yeah. In retrospective, hmm. thank, thank you for making me watch them. Did you enjoy them as a whole? I did. I, as a whole, I loved six of them, the first five and 1972. Yeah. Absolutely just top-notch stuff right there. Yeah. To be fair, they get a lot of flack from people. Um, You know, it's, oh, no, it's one of them Hammer Horror Dracula things, blah, blah, blah. But if you actually look at the series like we have, they're fairly consistent compared to where a lot of series go. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, all right, take the last one off, you know, with the Kung Fu, well, that's a bit bloody silly. But the rest of it, they're not... From the best to the worst, there's not a lot of difference, really, if you analyze them. Yes. And you have you have six out of the uh, eight that find me a franchise that can have as good of a percentage as that. Yeah, because there's nothing in there that's really terrible. No. There's no, no um, Omen 4 in there, is there? No. You just look at it and go, no. oh, fuck no. You know, even the worst, I mean, even Seven Golden Vampires, you know, I don't like it, but there are other, there are worse films out there. <laughs> I would watch that over Omen 4 any day of the week. Well, exactly. There you go. So, yeah, I think as, as far as a series of films go, as long as you're on board with them, they're absolutely fine. I think we need to rank them from best to worst. What do you reckon? Oh, shit. Uh, yeah. Yeah, let's do that. You didn't think about that because we forgot to do that when we did our Omen thing, didn't we? Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I really should have written this down, but as usual, I'm not prepared. 
No, didn't we rank the Omen ones? We did. We did it on the following show. Okay. Damn it. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Go on then. Let's go with our best then. What's your favourite of the series? Uh, AD 1972. Same with me. Number two. Hang on. Hang on. You got me. You got me scrambling. So I could just call this information up from my head. I don't need to write it down. Prince of Darkness. My number two is Dracula, Prince of Darkness. We're agreeing. Number three. Three. Damn. You know what? For nostalgic purposes, I'm going to go with uh, Dracula. What the first one? Yes. Okay. Well, we're going to differ there then. I'm going to go with Taste the Blood of Dracula because I enjoy that one. Now let's have a discussion. Nope. On the last show, I believe you rated Dracula a five, but only rated Taste of Blood a four. Well, then you're wrong, because I rated Dracula a four and Taste of Blood of Dracula a four. Oh, I have an error in my notes. I know you do. That's why I don't take notes, and I can't make errors. Because if you don't take notes, you can make shit up as you go. Exactly. And then say, no, I never said that. I was wrong. Yep. So So we're going to do a complete flip-flop, because I'm going to put... Uh, number four is Taste the Blood, and I bet you're going to put number four as... As Dracula. Yep. Yep. Okay, so I think there'll be a couple that will switch around, but we're on fairly the same level. So now I think we're going to get interesting. Yes, this is is tough. Yeah. Number five, I'm going to go with Risen. Right, interesting. I'm going to go with Brides of Dracula. Okay. Because I like the atmosphere in that one. I think it's very creepy. Okay. Okay. Number six, yours? I'm going to go with Brides. Okay, I'm going to go with Risen from the Grave. (laughs) (laughs) Now, the the rest are easy for me. Seven is going to be Scars. Uh, Yep, seven is my... Yep, Scars. Uh, Eight is going to be Seven Golden for me. Uh, Satanic Rites for me. Yep. And then Golden Vampire is my least favorite. Yep, Satanic Rites is my least favorite. Yeah, okay. Bit of variance there, but I thought that's probably the way we'd go. Yeah, that's uh, pretty close on that. Yeah, not too far apart. Which is really odd for us, because usually we differ. Yeah, yeah. But not always. That's right. So there we go. So, I think I asked you this last time, but I'll ask you again. Are you going to seek out some more Hammer stuff? Yes. Cool. I think we'll pencil in the Frankenstein series for later in the year. I think that's a good idea. That's a good idea. Uh, Yeah, maybe we'll think of a theme where we can uh, throw a few more in. And I think uh, when we do the Frankenstein thing, maybe we'll comment, do we like Dracula series better than the Frankenstein series? Yeah, see, that's a tough one, actually. I thought about that the other day. Yeah. Don't know. Well, we'll get to that when we do Frankenstein. But uh, We will, because I haven't seen any of the Frankenstein movies. I think, yeah, they're quite close. I think there's probably a higher production quality on the Frankenstein films. Ooh, interesting. Hmm. But then again, they didn't have to persuade Christopher Lee to keep coming back, so they probably have more of a budget to play with. <laughs> but yeah, we'll get there. They're another good series, so... Yes. Moving on, moving on. Oh, I suppose we ought to uh, thank Mr. Sean Munger for suggesting that one as well. Thank you, Sean. Thank you very much, Sean, yes. Any more suggestions are gratefully accepted? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right then, let's move on to a review. Yes, let's do our first podcast review. Yeah, this is something we haven't really done before. We're not just sort of skimming over a series and uh, saying what we think. We've actually purposely had to watch a film for review. That's right. Well, we get, I get personally get sent loads and loads of discs, so it's I haven't always got time to write reviews. 
Uh, and luckily, we're in a position where we both got sent the same disc. So exactly, we thought, why don't we do an audio review on the show? Yes. And the subject of that review is going to be the new release from Arrow Video called Ooh, The Mutilator. The Mutilator. The Mutilator. I don't think the music sounds like that in the movie. No, I just I suddenly started going to Hammer Smashed Face by Cannibal Corpse. Oh. <laughs> I wish that was in this movie, to be honest. Me too. Right, should we play a trailer and then we'll uh, get into it? Yes, make sure the trailer has that goofy music. No. What do you say? Four days of R&R at the beach. I'm in. She's in. I'm in. Sounds good to me. I got a bad feeling about this. They thought their vacation would be fun. They were wrong. Dead wrong. He's what's called a trophy hunter. Boom, 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 boom. Dad used to tell me that he'd hunted everything but man. Hey. in the room so i suppose we really should have thought about how we're going to do this before we actually go in and do it i know right <laughs> but we haven't because we're ruthlessly unprepared <laughs> as always not giving it one damn thought like oh yeah let's just do a review sure let's just do that yeah why not stream of consciousness just let it all out exactly so anyway the mutilator from 1984 directed by buddy cooper and john douglas written by buddy cooper Starring Matt Mittler, Ruth Martinez, Bill Hitchcock, Connie Rogers, Francis Raines, and lots more people we don't know. Right, yeah, so Arrow Video over here in the UK and now distributing in the US. They have a wonderful history of getting these uh, older cult classic films and uh, giving them a spruce up. And this is the latest one. It's a slasher from 1984, which I suppose is quite late in the sort of slasher boom, really. Although you did have Nightmare on Elm Street the same year, which put most other films in the shade at the time. But yeah, this is basically about a uh, a young boy who um, accidentally shoots his mother and kills her. And his dad goes a bit demented, as you would do. When we skip forward for a few years, the young boy is now a teenager who looks suspiciously in his early 40s. And he goes to his father's beach house with his friends and people start dying. 
I wonder who's doing it. What do you think, Myron? I don't know. Oh, well, I know because I watched the film. Well, me too. But I think that's the one. I think that's one of the highlights of the movie is they. I mean, you could probably guess who the the killer is, but <laughs> I guess you're looking about the first two minutes. Well, yeah, but there's certainly other likely possibilities. Is and there? So it, 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 there is. The 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 main forty year old dude looking guy could have been the killer. The son who looks like a young David Hess. Or David Hasselhoff, depending on your uh, country of origin. David Hasselhoff. He's a hybrid of the two. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so, all right, let's talk, talk about the film itself before we talk about the uh, the disc. It's strange on The Mutilator because, in some ways, it's very much a standard slasher. But in other ways, it does things slightly differently. Like, usually in these films, if you look back at um, things like Silent Night, Deadly Night, and uh, Sleepaway Camp and all these type of things, you have the beginning of the film is always a young child who sees something or does something, and then that affects them later on in life, and they become the killer. Whereas in this film, it's something the child does forces somebody else to be the killer. Yes, yes. Which I thought was quite a neat little twist, not something that's done very often. It's not. It really isn't. Mm. And there are a couple of those little turns in there where they sort of something you expect, so expect the film to do something, and it's just slightly different. And I really wish I'd written it down, then I could tell you what it is, but I can't remember. <laughs> professional as ever absolutely but it, but it you know let's be honest it does follow the, the slasher template of the time mm. we have young we have young teenagers we have a high body count yeah we got lots of blood great kills and uh the first teenagers to get frisky pay the price yeah it very much follows that sort of friday the 13th rule of the kids who are a bit more promiscuous are going to be the first to go yes yes this is a film that I, oh, had you had you seen this before, by the way? No, no, never have. No, me neither. It's a film I know I've heard of and I've seen clips from a lot of times, but I've never actually watched it. I believe it's held in quite high regard amongst slasher fans. Really? Yes, because of the kills, and the kills in it are very, very good. Yes, I, I will say this: after all the slashers and horror movies that I've seen, I actually cringed at one of the kills. I mean, I went, "Holy!" Is that the fish hook one? Yes. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I just went. Holy they do go there. shit. They very much do the Chekhov's gun thing of early on in the film showing this giant fish hook, which yes. I can't remember the name of it. The guy does say the name of it. I can't remember. A gaff. Gaff. That's it. It's, and it's called a gaff. Yeah. You you know straight away. Well, that's going to come into play later on, isn't it? Of course. And it does. Oh God. Because that is. He sticks it right up her vag. And out through the stomach. Yeah, I mean, it made me cringe. As it would. The final girl, I don't remember who plays her. I didn't write that down. Again, professional as always. I think she turned in the best performance of the entire movie acting-wise. Ah, see, I disagree. I think the best, or the only character in the film that I actually liked was the girlfriend of the funny guy. And again, I didn't write her name down. Really? Yeah, the one who waits in bed for him and tells him that he can have it if he goes and does something, which is me being romantic and obviously paying attention to what's going on. <laughs> no, she was uh, the only one I thought that actually had a bit of sort of character. I didn't, I'll straight off the bat, I'll say the acting in this film is shit from near enough everybody. Except for the final girl. No, I didn't think she was that great either. I, I think she would have been better in a different film. <laughs> I think 
She, uh, this was, uh, if you watch the, uh, audio commentaries, this was her first movie. Yes. And this was her only horror movie. Yeah, a lot of the people in this film didn't go on to do much else. Well, do, do you, do you kind of see why? Well, yeah, yeah. Although okay. Matt Mittler was in Basket Case too. It's, never, just go on. <laughs> he went on to the heady climbs of working with Frank Hennemlotter. Oh god, the Basket <laughs> Case too. You know we're gonna get there at some point, don't you? Yes, and I can't wait. <laughs> It's getting a Blu-ray release over here in a couple of months. Uh, Actually, lucky, next month. You lucky bastards. We, we could time that in, you know. <laughs> it's going to be region locked, probably. Oh, we can get over that. Right. So, yeah. So, I mean, the characters in this are pretty generic. The main guy, Ed Jr., played by Matt Mittler, who looks like a younger David Hess. He's clearly not a teenager. They're supposed to be teenagers in this film. They're clearly not. <laughs> but I'm going to say this. These teenagers are closer than some of the teenagers they've used in uh, the adult film industry of the same time period. (laughs) Could you clarify when you say adult film industry? All one has to do is go watch the classic Debbie Does Dallas. Look at the first locker room scene. There's no way any of those guys are teenagers. (laughs) (laughs) They're all like 45. I really couldn't comment on such matters. Oh, I can't. For legal reasons, I cannot quantify anything you've just said. I I know, because the business may listen. And anyone from the BBC. These are the opinions of Myron Schmidt, and they're not the opinions. And and I'm in the US. That's right. (laughs) BBC. Myron Schmidt, who lives in a country who may just vote Donald Trump in his president, so please don't listen to him. (laughs) Oh, God help us. Anyway, yeah, you know, they're clearly nearer 30 than they are 20. Matt Mittler comes across on one of the special features of calling himself a method actor. Um, I'm not sure if that what that method is. If it's the method of not being a very good actor, he does it very well. I wouldn't be surprised if bits of the script were stapled around the set for them to read as they're acting, because this it's dire. It's very badly put together. Yes, yes. And I was surprised you said some people hold it in high regard. They hold it in high regard because of the kills, which are, I will say, some for a film of this ilk and the time it came out, are very, very good. Yes, yes. Buddy Buddy did a great job at envisioning some of these kills. Absolutely. There's lots of power tools being thrown around and body parts being cut up and hooks going through vaginas and all sorts of fun things to make your family Christmas go a little smoother. Absolutely. <laughs> I did want to mention one death scene. And again, I didn't write the character's name down, and I wish I did. It's the blonde-haired jock-looking guy when he opens the door and the killer comes at him with that chainsaw thing or whatever it is. Yeah. And he just stands there and goes, ah, 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 slowly falls to the floor. Nobody said, right, let's do that again, because I fucking would have. It was terrible. And he was the worst actor out of all of them. Oh, God, he was terrible. No offense. No, no so, I but... am offending. He was fucking dead. <laughs> he got paid for that to stand there and go, ah, ah, ah. He was one step away from going, oh no, please don't do that. Sorry, you got a chainsaw run around your gullet, mate. Make it look like it hurts a little bit. Oh. Fuck's we... sake. But it makes it sound like I'm really down on this film and I'm not because I did get a little bit of enjoyment out of it. This is certainly not in any stretch of the imagination 
a lower tier slasher. This is absolutely, as our friends at Strange and Deadly would say, a mid tier slasher. Top tier is your Friday the 13th and your Halloweens. Yeah. Yep. Tier two, the burning, my bloody Valentine sleepaway camp. Yep. Yep. This would be the top of tier three, I think. Yes. Yes. There you go. Yes. Cause you got films like The Prowler who is much better than this. So yeah, yep. this is a, this is a top tier three. It's probably on a par with Don't Go in the Woods Alone or something like that, actually. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, say the kills are very good. It does drag in the bits between the kills. We don't get our first proper kill until about 35 minutes in, which is a little bit of a problem in a slasher film, I think. Well, it is. You know, it's uh, it, it does take too long to get ramped up to, you know. Yeah, I think they try too hard to get to know the characters in the beginning. Which, had it been written a little better, you wouldn't need to spend so long on that. You know, if you look at Halloween or Friday the 13th or any of those, you know, even though you need to spend time with those characters so you can sympathise with them, the way that they're written means it's done fairly quickly. Exactly. This doesn't, this spends too long, you know, establishing young David Hess as a bad actor, which we already know anyway. (laughs) And I'll elaborate, that's young David Hess, not the David Hess, who is obviously (laughs) a a god amongst men, or was. Yeah, it's a strange one. It It is. It is. I'd like to like it more than I did, but I don't hate it as much as others, as others, <laughs> you know. And if you go through the um, the special features, which we'll get to in a minute, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of goodwill behind this film. Oh, Arrow did a phenomenal job with this film package. Yeah. Before we get to that, then, are we going to rate the film? Let's rate the film. So how many fish hooks in the vagina would you give this film out of five? Oh, I have to go with 2.5. Yeah, I'm the same. And actually, when we are going to talk about movies to add an air of mystery, I don't put my ratings in. Now I'm going to have to go back and put all the ratings in. I didn't put my ratings on one film that I've watched recently because it's one we're going to talk about. And I don't want you to have any inkling about where I'm going to go with it. And that's Excellent. the only reason I haven't put a rating on it on Letterboxd. What, what, what is it? It's what we're going to do in the next show, which we'll get to in a minute. Ooh, excellent. Ooh. But let, let's talk about um, the package that okay. the for folks at Arrow's, Arrow put together. This one is absolutely jam-packed with special features. Yes. Absolutely jam-packed. It is. The thing I love about Arrow Video, and this makes it sound like I work for them and I don't, I don't need to sell their stuff. It's good enough. But when you put the disc in, I don't know if you get this on your release or not, but you get... The wonderful ident of the Arrow logo and that music, which now even my son recognizes because he comes downstairs and says, were you watching one of those Arrow videos last night? Yeah. Oh, excellent. And then you get the um, menu screen. Yes. There's nothing I love more than a moving menu screen. I love a menu screen that moves around and shows you clips from the film and plays you a really fucking annoying song like this one. does. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's one of those movies that uh, if you were to fall asleep during and the, the menu screen comes up, you wake up and you're haunted by that. Yeah, music. it's an earworm that you can't get rid of. Oh, you? God. But um, yeah, so you put your disc in, you get the lovely menu screen, you start the film. It's a 2K restoration of the film. It does look pretty damn good. It does. Absolutely does. And I think it's cleaned up to the point where, and this isn't Arrow's fault or anything like that, and I think this is something to do with watching older films in HD, you can see how the special effects are done. You, you can a little bit, yes, I agree. You can see the latex bladders around the neck for when they get <laughs> their throats cut. 
you can see the join of the latex onto the skin, which just goes to show you what a fantastic remastering job they've done, of course. Yes, exactly. And yeah, and that's that's sort of the curse of high definition, as you can see see the joins. Yes, yes. But uh, and I did not watch this, and then I may go back at some point and watch it. But they do offer a uh, Fall Breakers full length documentary on the making of the film. Oh, didn't you watch that? I didn't. Did you? <laughs> I was hoping you would, because I did. No, I did. <laughs> <laughs> I was watching it before we went on air. Actually, um, I ha- oh, okay. Uh, I've watched about an hour of it. It goes on for an hour and 15 minutes. So I will watch the last few bit of it afterwards. But um, Was it any good? Tell us, Chris. Yes, it was actually. Like I said, there's a lot of love for this film from the people who made it. It was sort of a labour of love from um, the director, who seems to be something of a local celebrity in the town where he's from. It, uh, You know, I did watch uh, the audio commentary with him, mm. and you, you definitely got that that impression from from mr cooper absolutely it reminded me a little bit of if you go into the history of night of the living dead and you hear about how romero and russo and all those people you know got the locals involved and got the funding and put it all together and all that sort of stuff it was very much like that very hands-on yep yep. everyone pitched in which by the way if you can ever get a hold and watch that making of documentary it is absolutely a brilliant movie which one i I don't remember the name of it that's fucking helpful isn't it (laughs) God Almighty! I even wrote a review about it. It was very, it was a very well done documentary. Oh yeah, uh, Birth of the Living Dead. Thank you. Yes. So yeah, you watch the documentary. They interview most of the principal cast and the people behind it. Yeah, a lot of love went into it. Everyone speaks very fondly, you know, and they talk about the some of the stunts that went wrong and some of the special effects that went wrong. But generally, there's no real surprises in there. But it's quite an affectionate look at the film, really. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It sure sounds like it. Yeah, which is good. There's also mutilator memories when the the special effects guy Mark Shostrom looks at some of the uh, the work that he's done. Right. Which is uh, another good feature. Oh, that's where I've seen him. He done effects on a Nightmare on Elm Street too. Okay. But he's also done Videodrome, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, Witchboard, Elm Street Three, Evil Dead Two, Poltergeist Two, Phantasm Two. He's done loads of stuff. Yeah, no shit. All the big names: Star Trek Voyager. Return of the Living Dead Necropolis. <laughs> Shit film. But yeah, Toolbox Murders, the remake. The to- Toby Hooper remake. Yep, he worked on nice. that as well. Yeah, he's got quite a good body of work there. And there's also a wonderful feature, which I'm sure you've watched lots and lots, about the music that's in the film. Yes. Yes, because that song is just so damn catchy. <laughs> like syphilis. And it does the damage as syphilis does. <laughs> Only it doesn't take 25 years to hit the brain. It goes there right away and just leeches IQ points out. Yeah, it's one of those early 80s. It sounds like a bit like the theme tune to the Dukes of Hazard. That was better than this. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's that sort of tune, that sort of uh, <laughs> slightly country and westernish pop song with a huge chorus. If you imagine, yeah, a country and western version of the theme tune to National Lampoon's Vacation, it's that, basically. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and it just gets in your head, and it's called Fall Break, which is the original title of the film. Yes, it was. Uh, you also you get the theme tune as part of the the uh, extra features, the original and the instrumental versions. Lovely. Ah, it's wonderful, wonderful. Thanks, Arrow. Thanks for that. Oh, uh, <laughs> but there's plenty of other stuff. There's lots of behind the scenes gags and things. There's screen tests. There's alternate opening titles, trailers and trailers and TV spots and. All sorts of stuff. There's also, which I love this on Arrow releases, you get the reversible sleeve featuring two different artworks. 
Yes, yes. You know, Scream Factory does that sometimes too in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of these uh, re-releases yeah. do. I like that. I, I like touch. That. Yeah, absolutely is. I think I actually prefer the newly commissioned artwork to the original one, to be honest. Which doesn't always happen. No, no. But yeah, there's that. Uh, there's like you said, there's the audio commentaries. You get a commentary with uh, Buddy Cooper and co-director John Douglas and Matt Mittler, and there's also another one with Buddy Cooper and actress Ruth Martinez Tutoro. Who plays the final girl. Who does? Well, there you go. So it's quite an extensive package. You can't fault the love that's gone into it, I must say. Now, and here's the here's the one niggle that I have with go the package. Is I, I think they need um, more of a moderator in uh, uh, the audio commentaries. Okay, well, I didn't uh, listen to the commentary. The, the, the gentleman they have doing it is fine, but... You know, he doesn't ask as many questions. There's a little bit of dead air, and probably a a, a better mo- moderator would uh, would certainly help him. But the one I watched was very interesting. With uh, what was the young lady's name again? Ruth Martinez Totoro. Thank you. And Mr. Cooper, it was very interesting, very informative. It was well done. Okay, are you going to go back and listen to the other commentary? I, I think I'm going to try and do that. Yes. <laughs> Be honest, are you? No. <laughs> Sorry, Arrow, but no. <laughs> it seems odd having two commentaries from a director, but, you know, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Talking of commentaries, I forgot to mention this earlier. I watched Scars of Dracula last week with a commentary track from Christopher Lee and Roy Ward Baker. You did? Yes, I forgot to mention that. My $5 DVD didn't contain any of that. Ah, you see, well, I've got the, <laughs> I've got the uh, Hammer Ultimate box set that came out over here from Studio Canal, which is like 21 discs of Hammer films. Holy shamolis. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's all the ones that Studio Canal own the rights to. Yeah, and you get the commentary track on that. It's from about year 2000, I think. Very cool. They don't talk about the film much because Christopher Lee says in it, I've never seen this film. And they... <laughs> and he's watching it going, yeah, there's Dennis Waterman. He was in Minder. And then he, <laughs> then he moves on to the next. <laughs> but he does give you a few stories about how some of the, how the workings behind Hammer Films which aren't, oh. aren't necessarily connected to that film. But. You know, if I ever vacation and come over to the UK, I'm going to have to add like a week on it because I have a lot of catching up to do on just movies. <laughs> with you. Oh, yes. <laughs> bring a big hard uh, drive with you. What, what's that? I said, bring a big hard drive with you. Yes. <laughs> that's what she said. Never mind. I, not, not that I condone that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh. Anyway, yeah, so back to the mutilator. Yeah, we, I think the package as a whole is better than the film itself. Yes, absolutely. It's a brilliantly put together package. You could just tell that Arrow loves doing this and it was phenomenal. Yeah, but the film itself, unless you're attuned to early 80s slashers, you might look at it and go, Oh, the kill's good. I'll wait 10 minutes. There might be another one. Oh, there's another good kill. Yeah, that's fine. Another 10 minutes. There's another good kill. It's not the paciest of slasher films. Right. But when it does hit those highs, it hits them very well. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the fairest way of putting it, really. That's right. But uh, yes, do uh, go and show Arrow Video your love by purchasing this Blu-ray, because I'm telling you to. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not, I have ordered, gotten in the uh, Arrow train, and I've ordered uh, Eaten Alive and Blood Rage. Yes, they're two very good packages. Yeah. I can't wait to get the Blood Rage package. Yeah. You enjoyed that, didn't you? I did. I did. And I'm kind of waiting to uh, jot any words down for uh, 
Ancient Slumber until I get the full package, because I know it's three discs. Okay, yeah, I reviewed that for uh, Flickering Myth, I think. Yes. Yeah, excellent. And the, the live package, I reviewed that for Flickering Myth as well. That is a really nice print, actually. I Yeah, I can't wait to get the full package for that as well. Yeah, you'll be impressed. There's some nice extras on there as well. Yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Right, then. Well, what are we going to do next time, Mr. Chris? Well, we are going to go back to one of our original versus remakes. We did Fright Night last time. Yes. This time, we're going to look at Martyrs. Ooh, I can't wait. (laughs) I can't wait. Yeah. Obviously, we've both seen the original. We've both recently watched the US remake. Yes. And I think we're going to have one or two words to say. I think we're going to have quite a few words to say. In fact, I may say in a written letter to the filmmakers. No, let's not let's not give too much away. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, I will definitely be rewatching both. Um, yes, yes. Don't laugh. I'm going to have to rewatch both. I'm going to rewatch the original because I've just recently bought it on Blu-ray uh, and I haven't watched the Blu-ray. I've seen it on DVD a couple of times. Does it come with special features, Mr. Chris? Uh I'm not sure, to be honest. I haven't. I originally bought it the other day, and it's still shrink wrapped and sat in my drawer, which is in the ah, house. So I've got gotcha. no access to it. Um, I think there's a couple of small bits and bobs. Okay, all right. Um, we'll get there, I suppose, when we talk about it. I watched the remake the other night. Do I have to watch that again? No, right? No, I'm going to go from memory on that one. <laughs> you have to watch it again. No, oh, and make notes. <laughs> I haven't done any so far. I'm fucking starting now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, that's next time. We're going to do original versus remake, talk about martyrs, and I'm sure we'll have some good and bad and ugly and lots of other things to talk about in between. So, if you want to get in touch with us, I would say send us an email or an MP3 voice audio thingy, feedback, whatever. Send it to ancientslumberpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at ancient underscore slumber. And we also now have a YouTube channel. Thank you, Mr. Chris, for that. Yeah, isn't that exciting? Yes, it is. It is. Yes. It's very basic. I'm just going to be posting posting the podcasts up there, and maybe along the way we might do some little video bits and bobs. I don't know yet. But, um, yes, do go along to YouTube, uh, type in Ancient Slumber Podcast, and you will see our page. That means I actually have to get dressed if we're going to do video bits and bobs. Yes, you can't be naked for those, because the world might be watching, or I might be watching, and that's even worse. Yes, damn BBC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm not commenting. <laughs> oh, as if anyone from the BBC would be watching us. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> oh, I guess until next time. Until next time, go and watch some films. Bye. Bye. Let it flow into you. Gathering you up like the 
Tell us about the blood, John. 